a minimum of 1,000 from the wedding shop over in Del Agua, even though less than 1,000 folks actually lived in Divine, Texas, including the ranchers on the outskirts. The napkin sales girl had assured her that folks would use two or three napkins apiece. Turned out all the wedding guests thought they looked so pretty they didn't want to waste them. Judy Harper had brought in the roll of paper towels she always kept in the back seat of her Oldsmobile, and everyone passed that around instead. So Ruby'd been stuck with more than 900 leftover, lavender, lying napkins. Almost 10 years had passed since that day, so Ruby saw no point in letting the napkins sit in the box. Maybe with the wrong names, folks wouldn't feel so bad about using them. Lena and Jason, the soap opera bride and groom, wouldn't actually be at this wedding reception anyhow. The real nuptial vows would be recited in Hollywood, California, on the set of Only One Life at the CBS Studios. Lena and Jason's reuniting had everyone in Divine, at least the women folk, so elated that they had decided to hold a wedding reception at Ruby's bowling alley, the Divine Bowl. The ladies even tried to have the actual wedding in Divine. Suddy Wilson wrote a letter to the president of CBS saying that since all this fancy decorating and cake baking would be going on anyway, CBS was welcome to film the wedding episode in Divine, a town of God-fearing Texans. She'd written a town of God-fearing Americans first, but everyone urged her change it to Texans since they really considered themselves to be quite different. In that same letter, Suddy offered up her husband Chester's services. Since he was the minister of the First Methodist Church, all the ladies figured he ought to officiate. They were willing to forego the fact that Lena and Jason practiced Presbyterianism. There was also the issue of their two divorces each, but no one brought that up. As they waited for a reply, the sheriff assured the ladies that the whole cast and film crew of Only One Life, and then some, could come to town. He could handle it. He had crowd control training. But the ladies never heard back from CBS. Ruby hauled the box of decorations from the pen setter room, up past the bowling lanes whose maple ribbing seemed to echo the crash and bang of bowling balls even when the place sat empty on a quiet morning like this. Ruby wondered if maybe that echo was permanently in her head. When she walked toward the front lobby, she caught sight of her sister, Loralva. Ruby hadn't heard the ring of the cowbell tied to the door handle, but Loralva obviously had arrived early and hoisted herself up onto the counter next to a big metal wash tub. Loralva held her legs straight out in front of her, admiring the pair of white ostrich hide cowboy boots on her feet. Today, her hair matched the color of the boots. She had a wig for every occasion, soap opera weddings included. Don't even think about walking anywhere near my maple lanes in those boots, Ruby said, setting the box of decorations on the other side of Loralva. And that dress, that the same one you married Shep, then Buck in? 
Shorter than is legal in Divine, don't you reckon? Check out my earrings, Ruby honey. Loralva held back thick wisps of platinum curls from her temples to show off the rabbit's feet, ignoring Ruby's put-down as always. Your good luck charms already ain't working, Ruby said, pointing toward the glass front doors. Imogene Davidson marched her heels through the parking lot gravel as she headed toward them, arms loaded down with white tablecloths. Ruby turned her attention back to the decorations, pulling a honeycomb bell from the box to tape to the rent shoes here sign that hung just above them. Loralva slid off the counter, turned on her boot heels and said, Catch you after the party gets going, then took the metal wash tub with her as she pushed through the swinging doors of the Idle On Up Saloon, which was next door to the Food Alley snack bar. Loralva would be making what she called Mexican...